All right, picking up with chapter nine is where we are at tonight. Um, actual sin and the law. As we get started, any questions either from what you read or otherwise? I already have at least two questions for our next Q&A Sunday, one of which is, um, is a discussion that we had back in 2019 or maybe 2018 on whether we can have communion over the internet. And at the time, um, yeah, yeah. At the time, you know, I was talking about this at like a Memorial Day picnic and the other pastors who were there were kind of making fun of me. And then, and then a year later, we were all talking about it. Like we actually need to think about this instead of just joking about it. Um, so it's, it's kind of a fun one to discuss and, uh, and one that we'll save for our next Q&A Sunday. Um, any other questions or anything that else that we need to talk about? Yes, Laura. Definitely. Definitely. And, and not just, I mean, not just you. <laughs> it's, it's all of us. You read this chapter and it's like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm really beginning to see, you know, not just original sin and all of its implications and what I'm born with, but also the reality of, um, of the sin that, that I do every day and that I'm not just some innocent bystander to, to all this. Anything else? Yeah. And, and it's, it's part of a wave that um, I'm sure Jeff Samuelson will talk about this coming Sunday. Um, the kind of the transition in terminology from, you know, physician assisted suicide to more of a self suicide um, where it's not an attempt. It is an attempt to destigmatize the whole idea and to say that, you know, I, I went out of life on my own terms, you know, like the Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. Um, and so if I can say that, that this is my choice on my terms and it's, it's my, me, myself choosing to do this, then you, no other person has the right to tell me exactly how I choose to conclude my life. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of a broader attempt to kind of destigmatize the whole discussion. And um, I mean, it's, it started in the Netherlands already, you know, two decades ago. And then, um, and what happened in Michigan around that same time, um, I guess would have been late nineties with um, Dr. Dr. Kevorkian. Um, but that's also a topic that's coming up in a number of different states um, for, for options that they want to be able to provide in a legal way as, as what is, you know, cynically called medical care. <laughs> um, no, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. If you, you dress it up and you call it something other than a pig, it's still a pig. Um, and, but it, it's also part of this broader attempt to say that, that death is, is natural and that death doesn't have the moral implications that, um, that the Bible says it has. That Romans 6.23, the first part of the verse, the wages of sin is death. And so we can't do away with death, but there is an attempt to say, well, death isn't a bad thing. Death actually means progress. And death on your own terms is, is the height of, um, of human self-determination. I guess that would be the, the idea there. And, uh, and it goes hand in hand with an evolutionary worldview that says um, death is necessary for the progress of the species. 
that death isn't the result of my moral infraction against God, but rather death is, is the way in which the species improves itself. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's something that is uh, definitely going to be on <laughs> coming up on, on ballots here in the next election, whenever that happens to be 2024, November, 2024. Um, and I think there's either like, I think there's like four or five states that currently have some legal form of that. Um, and th I wouldn't be surprised if we see more here in the next election cycle. Yes. Yeah, because if and if your metric is something other than life has value because it's human life, then um, then you're going to say, well, once we move away from that, then it doesn't matter at the beginning of life, end of life, or anywhere in between, then your metric has to be something else. Well, what is it that people value most in this world? Um, yeah. Are, are, you, are you a supporter of the economy, or are you somebody who has no meaningful contribution to this economy? Or are you somebody who, from our analysis, has very little quality of life? Um, and not, you know, never mind the fact that this person, you know, let um, me think of some of the people that have served over the years that this person has been a committed Christian for a very long time. And even if he or she can't express their faith the same way that they had when they were younger, that faith is still there. Um, and that life still has value. And as a Christian, you know, it, it means, and, you know, like it or not, it means that we, we need to sacrifice to provide for these people um, all the way to the end until God makes the decision to bring them out of this world. Um, yeah, and that, that's only that's only a Christian concept. Uh, that that sort of, you know, you don't budge from this this starting point that life has value because God, you know, the Son of God paid His life and put His life as the price tag of of your life. Any other questions? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a completely godless worldview. Um, that worldview, the idea of worldview is just how do you, how do you view the world? It's a very you know, simple term, um, but, but has a lot of ramifications that as a Christian, you know, I believe in original sin, actual sin, and that God gave his son for me. Um, and so that means, you know, we have, we value life. Um, if you take God completely out of that, then, then it's just a matter of power. Um, which is, it's the lie of, of postmodernism. The, the lie of postmodernism is that everybody has his or her own truth and, and you can have your truth and I have my truth. The reality of postmodernism is, you know, the, the opiate of the peoples is you can have your own truth and you can hold to it. But the reality is it's all a matter of power. Who has the power and who is able to exert his or her will against against another another group yeah nothing nothing's going to be standard that um once god is out of the equation um even even the the most upright and civically good humanist um can't make the right decision for the right reason and even if they made the right decision in an application like for a generation um to say well let's stand up for our old people no matter no matter their condition and let's let them pass out of this life peacefully on in the, a natural way, um, that application isn't going to pursue, isn't going to persist until the next generation, um, because it had no had no foundation in some 
some truth that, you know, transitions from generation to the next, which is, you know, one of the blessings of, of a Christian congregation where you look around and you're like, we've got people all the way from like Bob Strain or, or Jean Herner when she comes <laughs> um, all the way two months old, most recently baptized, and that the Christian congregation says um, that we all have the same access to God through faith. We can maybe express that faith differently where, you know, at a certain age or a certain point in, um, you know, older age, somebody might not be able to express their faith in the same way, just as the little baby crying in the back row can't express his or her faith in the same way as you or I. Um, but it's, it's no less of a, of a faith. Anything else? All right. So we'll add more questions about, uh, we, we, oh, I just heard back today, um, October 21st, we will have a Saturday seminar, uh, featuring, uh, three different speakers talking about different elements of, um, preparing for preparing for passing. I don't have a, a happier way of putting that yet. <laughs> yeah. I've, I, I, we've got about four months to, to come up with, with something better than getting ready to die. Right. <laughs> but preparing for passing something catchy. I know. I know. That's why I mentioned it to you now. And we can think about this. <laughs> Um, where we, we've, we've lined up one of the three, and I'm waiting to hear back from a few others, um, <clears throat> where Don, Don Blaze has been a mortician for nearly 30 years, right around 30 years. And so he's, he's been like the director for um, hundreds of funerals, as well as, you know, bringing somebody from all, all the experience of death that we, we don't see or that we don't want to think about, um, but that, you know, I said he could talk about whatever he wants for a good hour to an hour and a half um, related, to, related to his line of work, um, maybe dealing with questions of cremation versus funeral uh, or a standard burial, as well as um, I kind of primed him on this one. Hopefully he can talk a little bit about what he sees as like the difference between a Christian funeral and a, and a funeral that doesn't have Christ. Um, so that, so that even if it is a little bit more information than you or I experience on a daily basis, um, that at the same time, it's something that, that he can say from his experience, he sees the, the value of faith, uh, played out in action. There'll be more about that, including a, a new name other than <laughs> preparing for passing. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. All right. So with that, <laughs> with that, uh, that gets us into chapter nine, actual sin and the law. Do we, on the screen or on your page, I'll give you a minute or two with somebody seated nearby. Uh, do you like talking about sin? We'll take all three questions at once. Uh, what can make sin a hard topic to talk about and what are the potential dangers of pretending that sin does not exist or trying not to think about it. I'll give you a minute or two with those seated nearby. All right. Do you like talking about sin? What can make, it a, what can make sin a hard topic to talk about? Besides reading the chapter and you're like, oh my goodness, I feel terrible. I didn't even see how bad it was until somebody pointed it all out. And what are the dangers of pretending that sin doesn't exist? Right, any of those who wants to start us off? 
Do you like talking about sin? That's probably, possibly a no. Give me a yes. Yeah, it could, could be a yes and a no. <laughs> yeah. Talk about it a lot. Yeah, trying to explain sin to an unbeliever. Um, where, where, yes, you know, we, we talk about, if you look at the, the headlines, whether it's, um, whether it's the, the, the cable TV shows, news shows, um, or other headlines that you might get um, online or elsewhere. I don't know. Does anybody buy like Time Magazine? Do they print that anymore? <laughs> Probably not. Um, but then if you try to just, just go through that and cross out, cross out um, people's sins, like, oh, I mean, it is, it is one thing when you're talking about Russia invading Ukraine, as an example. That was a war of aggression, and it was sinful and wrong. Um, but at the same time, it's, and, and we sense that, that sense of righteous anger about it, you know, like that was obviously a wrong thing to do. Um, and it's, it's more understandable talking about that versus, you know, talking about, um, talking about my personal sin or trying to explain to somebody, you know, somebody who has no Christian understanding, you know, what is a sin and that the Christian faith isn't about, you know, do harder. So you stop sinning. The Christian faith is about love. Let's point back to Jesus so that we see the solution for sin. Anything else? What can make sin a hard topic to talk about? And what are the dangers of percent pretending that sin doesn't exist? Yeah. If we pretend sin doesn't exist, then there's no place for repentance. Um, and entire church bodies have, have been lost through their denial of, of sin. And, and it, it's, it's as simple as starting out by denying that one, any one pick your, take your pick that any one particular sin isn't a sin. Um, because it gets into a definition of sin that isn't based on the unchanging inerrant word of God. It's a definition of sin then that is based on what I feel is sin. Yeah, to, to talk about sin and then to, to talk about forgiveness and then talk about, um, because the more you look at it, the more you see, you know, how deeply ingrained this is within, within even, you know, my heart as a Christian, but it's still there. And, and once you, once you think you have it rooted out, then you're like, oh, this just keeps going further. I was like, uh, like Martin Luther going to the confessional. This was probably, I don't know, 1518 or 1516, somewhere in the 15 teens, I think. And, uh, and he spent six hours in the confessional um, confessing to his, you know, the priest that he was confessing to. And then he got to the end and basically is like, well, I think that's it. Walks out, gets like 10, 15 steps out, turns around and walks back in. Yeah, that in one sense, a sin is a sin is a sin, that each sin is equally abhorrent in God's eyes, whether it's something that we would call like the little white lie or something, you know, extreme that lands somebody in prison for the rest of his or her life. Um, on the other hand, there, there is a difference in some of the ramifications of that sin. Um, where if somebody does some heinous crime, it's going to, it's going to totally upend somebody else's life. Uh, whereas the little white lie, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, it looks like nobody was hurt by it, even if it, if it is still a sin. Um, and so it's, it's true that every sin is equal in God's eyes. However, at the same time, it's also true that, that there can be differences in, um, 
in the impact of a sin on a person's life. All right, we have a little bit to, um, to look up tonight. Actually, I'll put most of these on our screen, but if you have a Bible, we will look at them together. The unholy trinity that we'll be talking about, um, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, um, or our sinful nature. And when we, I guess we'll start in John chapter 8. We have a volunteer to read for us. Uh, so according to this verse, the devil is a liar and the father of lying. And Jesus, Jesus refers to him as a murderer. We're just going to look at the, um, we'll look at one more in this section and then we'll go back to our presentation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11. And 2 Corinthians 11 uh, verses 13, 14, and 15. Uh, reads like this. In fact, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his ministers also masquerade as ministers of righteousness. Their end will match their works. Whew. All right, what, do we, what else do we know about the devil from this, uh, from this verse? Ah, that he... Uh, he masquerades or he pretends to be an angel of the light. Um, that's pretty intense. So he, he pretends to be good. Um, and then the other two from Matthew 7, that he, that he pretends to be harmless. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 15. And then that last one from 1 Peter 5. Um, about the, yeah, about be always on your guard watching out because the devil, your enemy, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So when we talk about, when we talk about sin, when we talk about actual sin, why, why do you think we start by talking about the devil? Yeah, he started it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and Adam and Eve, you know, gave in to their temptation. Yeah. So, and so we, we, we talk about the devil, um, also to, to be aware that we don't fall prey, um, that the only guide we have when, when, even when it comes to sin is, is the word of God, because the devil, he likes to call what is bad, good, <laughs> Uh, even in the example we had from our questions earlier, um, that he pretends to be good. He masquerades as an, as an angel of light. And that is true, um, both spiritually, that there are a lot of religions in this world that look very religious and look very zealous. Um, but it's also true, even in an external worldly sense, that there will be a lot that we hear about or see, um, and people will try to spin it in a good way. Make it, make it sound good. Make it sound harmless. Uh, the world will be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And then our nice little footnote, mammon is an Aramaic term for worldly wealth and property. 
So when you talk about the world, um, we're not just we're not just talking about the evil influences of this world, uh, but we're also talking about, and this, I guess, gets into the sinful flesh side of things as well. We're also talking about blessings that our sinful flesh would want to um, put into primary place ahead of God in our lives. Um, the, the, main, the main thing that we talk about when we talk about the world is, is about the evil influences of, of the world. Um, like in John chapter one, the light was shining in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. Um, that in, especially in the book of John, the world is, is imaged or pictured for us as, um, as something that is completely opposed and rejecting Jesus. Um, but in this passage, you know, Jesus talks about, um, in this case, you know, the world wants our attention, but we cannot serve both God and money. Um, but he, that money in and of itself isn't bad. It's not a, it's not the root of evil. It's the love of money that we hear about in, uh, in first Timothy. And so when we talk about the world, we're also including, um, the blessings of this world that, that our heart or our attention or our desire will readily place, um, ahead of God in our lives. How about that one from first John, first John two verses 15 through 17. We don't get to the end of the end of the New Testament very often. So you're thinking Revelation and then before that is Jude and then one, two, three, John. So one, two, three, John, Jude and Revelation verses 15 through 17. And do we have a volunteer to read for us first john 2 verses 15 through 17 joe the one of the main things that we see there in verse 17 um especially and this is you know verses 15 and 16 kind of lead up to this that the world passes away um that even with with all the good things that it has even with all the joy that it has um one of the hallmarks of even even the joy or the pain in this world is that it comes to an end and so in that sense, um, the world is, is fleeting, um, that it's not going to last, and it's not going to last forever. And then finally, it lasts, the last two from Matthew 13, um, that the world um, distracts and deceives us. It's not quite on your, uh, on your worksheet. But I think that's, that's definitely another element that we, that we have to see that we see as, as part of the broader discussion on, um, on dealing with sin, you know, verses 20 through 22, um, talking about the explanation of the parable of the sower, where, you know, the sower, the farmer goes out to sow his seed and some falls on rocky ground and it springs up and then it withers. Others falls among the, the weeds. And Jesus specifically says, and the weeds grow up and choke it. And in this, in this one, um, that the seed um, sown among the thorns or the weeds represent the one who hears the word, but the worry of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it produces no fruit. Um, and so we're not just talking about, not just talking about, you know, the blessings of this world, but we're also talking about the way that that those blessings are fleeting in our experience. You know, you worry about these things and you're like, oh, 
you got a transmission on the car or, um, you know, just you name it, that there's all the, all the concerns in the world that one might have. Um, one of my previous uh, church presidents, he was, a you know, travel a lot for his job. And he spoke about, you know, some software, hardware product. Um, and, and, uh, and so he, he did a lot of talking at trade shows and that sort of thing. And they raised four or five girls in their home. And he said, you know, when, when they were all teenagers, his, his worry was directly relation and directly proportionate to the number of um, cylinders that he had in cars. So, and, uh, and, and then by that time, um, most of the girls had moved out and gotten married and, uh, and, and one of the girls was actually renting a house from them. So he said, well, now it's not a question of how many cylinders I have in my car that I, that is the ratio of worry. Now it's the question of how many toilets I have to keep an eye on kind of a, yeah, kind of a funny way, but, uh, but totally understandable and relatable where even though worries shift over, over time, um, it's still, it's still there. Anything else? Um, talking about the, the world and the way in which the world plays into our, I think for this next little bit, um, we'll just look at the ones from Romans. So if you go to Romans 7, then we'll get into Romans 7 and Romans 8. In the first part from um, Galatians 5, that the sinful flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful flesh. So they are at war with one another. Seven verses 14 through 20. Um, that's that section. I do what I don't want to do. What I don't want to do, I keep on doing. <laughs> Very familiar with that. And the way that Paul, the way that Paul puts that. Um, and in that sense, you know, he, he says that in my, in my members, I am, I am a slave to um, the law of my members. I wasn't say that exactly. Yeah, verse 14. I am unspiritual and sold as a slave to sin. And that the, the whole, you know, I do what I don't want to do discussion is Paul admitting that he can't, he can't get rid of that sinful flesh. And that sinful tendency and that sinful reality that plays itself out in his life. Um, that despite his best efforts, it's, it's still there. And then verses 21 through 25, uh, still in Romans 7. So I find this law at work when I want to do good, evil is present with me. I certainly delight in God's law according to my inner self, but I see a different law at work in my members waging war against the law of my mind and taking me captive to the law of sin, which is present in my members. What a miserable wretch I am who will rescue me from this body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my sinful flesh, I serve the law of sin. And that's, um, you know, just this idea that there's this war going on within us and and the battle between that new, that new man or that new life of faith and the sinful flesh, it, it's going to end in death <laughs> one way or the other. Um, that's the only way that the battle will, will ever end. Either the faith dies and, um, and you go on with, with nothing, 
you know, aside from natural consequences in this world or natural law, nothing really curbing your behavior. Or um, when you when you die, and then your sinful flesh will die. And, um, and the triumph that is faith is what God will use to bring you to heaven. And then when your body is resurrected, you won't have to deal with your sinful flesh anymore, which is fantastic. <laughs> but it's like, you know, that's exactly why, um, you know, the, the way the small catechism talks about um, confession or, um, or like Luther's morning prayer. Um, I thank you, my heavenly father, through Jesus Christ, your dear son, that you have graciously kept me this night, keep me this day also from sin and every evil. And then the evening prayer, uh, forgive me all my sin and graciously keep me this night. It just kind of bookends with that same reality. Um, next one, Romans 8, verses 12, 13, and 14. Maybe that same page even, almost. Do we have a volunteer to read Romans 8, verses 12, 13, and 14? Um, and this is, I guess this is the point, you know, what I just said, that at, at, one, at one point, it, it will cost us our lives. Um, and that, that's a spiritual reality for you and me today. Um, and that's, what, that's the way Jesus describes the Christian life. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. Um, that, that the Christian life is one of daily contrition and repentance. Um, and that's, you know, that's, you know, the fourth part of baptism as well, that, that what is the meaning of baptism for daily life, that, that each day, you know, we, the new man arises as if from the dead, um, and that the sinful flesh is, is drowned in daily contrition and repentance. Finally, um, these last two from Ephesians. Ephesians 4 uh, needs to be put off. Um, therefore, put off the, the characteristics or the, the actions, the attitudes of the sinful nature, the sinful flesh. Um, and that's, that's the cool thing about, about Paul's letters. Um, typically, like the first half, I mean, the first half has a lot of very good you know, practical content in it also. But typically, the first half has a lot more um, just straight up doctrinal teaching. Um, with the exception of Romans, I guess, but the other letters. And then the second half um, is usually, you know, specific applications of that same teaching to, to different people or to different, you know, households. And so Ephesians is one that splits up very nicely along those lines. Ephesians is six chapters long. The first three are, are basically, you know, this is what Jesus has done. This is what life looks like for the Christian. Chapters four through six, you get into the application for what does this look like, you know, in, in the household uh, of faith among believers, if in your relationships at work or at home or something like that. Um, and then that last part uh, makes us deserving of God's wrath. From, uh, from Ephesians chapter two that we are by nature objects of wrath. Uh, the truths that we, that we just saw on that page, you know, that the devil is a liar who pretends to be good, um, all the way down through the, that the world wants all of our attention and that our sinful flesh will turn every blessing in this world into a false idol 
<laughs> Thanks, God. Yeah, it's not God's fault, um, but it is exactly what what we see in our in our own lives. Um, and then our sinful flesh, um, that it means this constant battle. Maybe I'll give you a minute or two to think about that. Some implications of these truths. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. Um, where you see where you see the reality of of what the devil does, um, which we, I mean, that was the, the briefest glimpse at some of the passages about what the devil is and what he does. Um, and we see, you know, the world around us and our own sinful flesh. And, <laughs> and just by, by contrast, what you and I know uh, from scripture about what our Lord Jesus has done for us and, and brought home to each of us in, in his sacraments, um, it just makes you say, wow, this is, you mean, this is all that the world has to offer <laughs> that even, even the best and highest accomplishment is, uh, is going to be fleeting and it's going to only last a generation or two. Um, but my Jesus has promised me everything. Then it's like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> that's fantastic. What else? What about the, uh, the straightforward implications of um the reality of the the devil the world and the sinful flesh allying themselves together against christians in the christian church sure <laughs> yeah giving up is not an option failure is, is not an option you know like you know is that battle of the bulge and um and you're surrounded there at baston and uh the commander's like nuts <laughs> you know? or maybe it was uh, or chesty puller was that his name um, like they're surrounded, give up. And, and his response was, well, now they can't get away. <laughs> and, and not just, not just condemnation and following this path, but, um, but a continual tendency for, to experience pain. Um, and that even, even from a worldly perspective, you can, you can speak very clearly to say, you know, this is what God says in his word. And you can see how, how the sinful flesh and sinful nature plays itself out throughout history. And even if mankind thinks that they'll figure it out one of these years, you know, just give us another 2000 years and we'll, we'll finally start becoming better and better. You know, that, that was the idea leading up in the, the roaring teens leading up to, um, leading up to world war one was that we had finally found the solution to everything that science will solve everything and then all of a sudden we had the war to end all wars and then everybody's like oh we want to forget about that so let's have the roaring 20s um and then they're like oh no now we've got a great depression and then we've got the war to end to end all wars um because at some point you gotta you gotta start despairing that humans are gonna figure this out on our own and that the reality is that you and I, that, that people will experience pain as a result of holding, holding out hope that the world's going to get better. I think, I think that that might be a, a plausible argument um, because even, even, you know, the, the average humanist today could look around and say that things aren't as they should be. Um, and that you and I don't have, don't have the, you know, the years left in our lives, even if we live, you know, 70, 80, 90 years, you and I, you and I don't have the luxury to say, well, I'm going to just roll the dice and whatever pain happens to come my way, you know, that's fine with it. Rather than, you know, here you've got the word of God that is very clear 
about um, about what is the problem and what is the solution. I think you know uh, there's at least the possibility there to uh, to be able to to talk about Christ. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's almost like you know we're just we just have the Book of Ecclesiastes on repeat, where you know Solomon pursues wealth and he thinks he finds meaning there. Or Elon Musk says we're gonna we're gonna fly to Mars and we're gonna you know start new life on Mars. Fill in the blank. You know it's the same thing, um, just a different point in history. Yeah, and and to try to think about you know how do you how is it that that you or I would go about sharing our faith and talking about either the buildings on fire, the world's going to end, um, or, you know, whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use or, or, or the, on the positive side that, that Jesus has, has promised something that is certain and true beyond what everything the world has to offer. Um, actually, we're going to, we're going to talk about that during our Sunday morning Bible class in two weeks, not this Sunday, uh, Jeff Samuelson from uh, Christian Life Resources um, is going to be here this Sunday, but then in two weeks we're going to start by you know defining some terms because um, we haven't talked about predestination and election very much, <laughs> and so we'll we'll probably start by talking about that and how it plays into yeah that's where we're going to start. It's like I can't. I think we've only had one. I've I know I've preached on it at least three times since I've been here, but. Um, but we haven't had a Bible study on it. So I guess together, together with that, next time we'll, we'll pick up on the second part of, of this page. Um, but which commandment is the greatest? There, there's a simpler homework and, uh, and, and maybe a slightly more involved homework, depending on how fast you read. They could be about the same length of time. Um, with Pastor Samuelson coming, if you haven't watched Patriot Games yet, <laughs> that, that that's the slightly more humorous side um and then the the other one would be to um you know look through read through the book of job and compare the numbers of his wealth at the beginning and versus the restoration of wealth at the end and i'll make a i'll make a note of that we'll we'll talk about that at the beginning of class next time and we'll pick up on the second page of chapter nine and then after this after this is really cool then we get into all the fun terms related to the person work of jesus christ it's fantastic um i am planning i, I was planning to continue with bible class through lent um because at next week wednesday is ash wednesday uh, so we'll have one o'clock and seven o'clock class uh, worship on on Wednesday, and then um, if we want to have class, we can continue having class on Thursday as well. Thank you very much. We'll close with prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word, uh, where you show us where you show us exactly the depth of our depravity, both what we are born with, as well as the things that we uh, actually carry out during our lives. Um, but most of all, we thank you for the clarity and the comfort of your son, um, whose death and resurrection means salvation, means forgiveness of sins and righteousness uh, declared upon us. 
Uh, we ask that you continue to ground us in this truth in a world that continues to uh, pursue all the other solutions that don't work. Um, ground us in this truth so that we may speak positively and, um, and with patience to those who need an answer. All this to the glory of your name, we pray. Amen.